welcome to the testing peers. This week, we are joined by the usual crew. So let me welcome to us, David. Hello. Christopher. Hello to you. Hello, full name, sorry, Chris. And Simon. Hello. And I'm Russell. This week, we've got an exciting episode. We're going to talk a little bit about test cases and all the joys and trials and tribulations that go with them, which we're looking forward to. Some of us love them, some of us hate them. I'll not ruin the surprises of who's who. Uh, but before we move on to talk a bit, a bit more about that and to learn a bit more about each other, let's just uh, say a big thank you to Saffron QA. So we're delighted that they sponsor us still. And they're a specialist in testing recruitment, offering permanent, contracted, and newly developed retained recruitment services. Now, more details can be found in our show notes. Please reach out to Ben directly if you'd like to find out more. So, what is in store today, people? I just thought that talking about test cases or cases, when you go on holiday, what are the five most important things that you put in your case in order to make sure that you have a fantastic time when you're away? Five things. That's a lot of things. Please. I'll give you flexibility. Toiletries. Because that's important. So I can take my, my own special anti-dandruff stuff with me because let's face it. It won't be good on holiday otherwise. Um, so that's one. Two would be a various variety of exciting summer clothing because I don't think I would often winter holiday. Although maybe I would. Iceland looks fun. How many testing t-shirts would you take, Chris? Uh, it depends on, I think if it was a vacation, only a couple. If it was a testing conference, it'd be infinite. Although I wouldn't because I'd go and collect them, wouldn't I? So... So yeah, some some clothes, some toiletries, my Kindle, which would be preloaded with hopefully lots of interesting books that I might read one of, and then the charging adapters and charger stuff for wherever I'm going to go, and finally a towel, beach towel. Very good. Simon, not exciting, sorry. Yeah, um, so I think one thing that always goes in case first, I've got a pair of flip-flops with um, bottle openers on the bottom. So they would make sure they're in there because, uh, you know, have to enjoy the, the drinks on the beach. Chris has already covered the basics, I guess, things depending where you're going, maybe you're taking things like insect repellent or whatever else as well, sun cream. If it's just for ourselves, then I'd be, a, I'm more of a book person than a Kindle. So I'd take probably two or three books that I'd plan to read one of during the week only I, one well it depends how much time i actually spend reading i think on honeymoon i managed to get through one of the game of thrones books in two weeks which is the only time i've actually read one back to back otherwise it's over a long period of time but yeah i'll take two or three and so i have choice my phone for music as well i guess would you put that in your case then well that's true yeah good point hey. yeah hey. yeah fair point um yeah no i i, I I think Chris has already closed toiletries. Don't think there's much else I'd be taking, to be honest, um, other than... I'm, I'm sorry. I was very boring and uncreative. <laughs> so it's the flip-flops with the uh, the beer opener, the can opener on the bottom, bottle opener on the bottom. That's probably about the only unique thing. Well, and sun cream. So I think Chris has cheated, I have to say, because he said toiletries and made yes. that one item. And, and, and T-shirts. <laughs> and T-shirts and clothing yes. as one item. So um, I'm going to be stricter. 
so I'm going to say Kindle, a power adapter for the country that I'm in, like Chris mentioned, and then a power adapter. So it's normally like a, a USB one. Now I normally keep the USB cables in my bag, so they're not going to go in my suitcase, just so you know. So the other attachments to the thing will be separately stored. A coat, because I generally wouldn't take a coat with me onto the plane and things like that, big and bulky. And, and then probably a second pair of shoes, because I wouldn't generally carry that in my hand luggage. But that'll be it. And it, depending where I would be what. So I'm being very strict. So for me, again, uh, Kindle, uh, to so that I can keep entertained. Um, I would, again, Nick Simon's uh, sun cream, make sure I have some sun cream. Um, I would also put a pair of running shoes in just in case I felt like. Oh, good shout. Good shout. Early morning run. Yeah, didn't think of that. Um, and then because I'm going somewhere sunny, trunks as well, because they're always useful. And um, what else? It's really tricky, isn't it? And probably a hat so that I can uh, be mm. protected. I had that covered in my clothes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your generic everything else you put in. A I guess the big, I guess the big question there is, given we're all packing our cases, where are the testing players going? What collectively? It sounds like it. Where are we going together? It's a vacation, though. That was it. wasn't It wasn't for like some sort of event or something. So we'd have to. Well, like PeersCon. Not like PeersCon, <laughs> sadly, because I, I, I assume this is this that's... is this is more the Peers Retreat. Yeah. Oh, okay. mm, this is what we're going to come up with the testing peers manifesto. <laughs> we're testing. They have to be the Caribbean, then, wouldn't it? Yeah. Shall we crack on? We're just trying to avoid talking <laughs> about test cases. That's what this is. Isn't it? We're so enthused by the topic today, aren't we? Um, um, Simon, why don't you introduce it and and we're, yeah, we're so, jumping for you. So there's been quite a lot of chatter about this for a while in the industry about the importance of test cases, whether test cases are still valuable, whether there's better ways to document your tests or not document your tests. And I really thought it was a good opportunity for the peers to talk about their views on where there's value in writing test document uh, test case documentation, whether it be in the, the stepped format, the given when then format, or whether you literally are, are not writing test cases at all. And where you where you think there's a value there? I'm guessing we've all worked in places where there's been quite strict guidelines about you must document your tests in this way, you must put all the steps in place, you must write them as if somebody that knows anything about testing is going to come along and execute them. Is that is that a familiar phrase that you've heard before? Because I similar ones and ones like someone who's only been in the company for a year. So, well, how do I much, do I know how much they know yeah. in a year? <laughs> they can they can get so much. the bad ones saying one year anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I'm like, well, you know, if they're really good, then they could be there. And they know everything. Or if they're really bad, they might know nothing still. Um, but yeah, I've worked in those places, and I think I've I did with projects with a variety of those sort of levels and things in them as well. I've told people once upon a time that. Um, I didn't care what they wrote in terms of test cases and that sort of thing. Whatever was needed in order for them to understand, to get an understanding of what they want to test was good enough to do that. And because the evidence was just the fact they had to write down what they did. Didn't necessarily need to be a test case, just some sort of explanation of the fact that they've covered something. But I've also worked in places where you had to put step, def def not step definition, steps, step by step, as you said, from an absolute novice so that anyone could understand them and follow them. And I've worked in between, where there kind of need to be loose description scenarios. And I've worked in worlds with BDD, given them when. And they've all got pros and cons. And again, 
to Chris's um, biggest sort of thing, context. It's the purpose of what you're trying to achieve with them. I've only found them valuable where I've had to explain to somebody else to get someone else's approval for what I've got to do. And therefore I needed to be able to define it to get that approval. But whilst I was in trusted environments, empowered environments, in there, I didn't need that approval. Therefore writing something up front to pass to someone to review it became less valuable. So didn't do it in that way. I would do debriefs versus upfront descriptions, if you see what I mean. I think it very much depends on the context and the desire to actually write test cases. There are times when you need to write test cases, for example, for standards or for medical devices where you need to know upfront. And some of our clients that we work with, they want to check that they that we have the links to the requirements and and we're actually testing it as part of that so it it completely depends on the context and what the expectation of the end client actually is and you know that then takes into account of you know whether it's agile or whatever which obviously slightly um removes the need for test cases but at the end of the day i think as testers we we need to know what we're testing and provide some sort of evidence in order to uh, be able to repeat it if we find an issue or a bug with it um but creating test cases up front i don't think you always need to do that i know no we've described it in exploratory testing i've described to pms that with exploratory testing you can end up with the same thing as you would do if you were writing test cases up front because you're writing your steps as you go along it's just not up front it's as you're doing it and so trying to get that mindset that you don't have to do it up front is sometimes a challenge. But it, as we've said, it depends on the context. So much context. Hmm. I've certainly worked in places where I saw value in there being test cases written, often as a means of documenting and assisting with proof helps with regulation um, and it helps with buy-in um, with estimation for particular things but on the whole I think it's too easy to get stuck in only doing test cases whether or not they might be simply sort of like do, do something and expect a result, whether they be BDD, whether they be uh, an automated test case where there's a bunch of steps that it just goes in a particular run. It feels like it's very, very easy for us to try something and go, this works for us and only do that way of testing. And for me, it's more of a problem when we narrow the scope of our testing to one kind of testing any one of those things, but only doing that than explicitly doing test cases as part of our sort of suite of testing or approaches. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, I don't have any particular, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not frustrated or, or, or whatever by the fact that test cases are still being written. I still see there being some kind of value. What I find more important is that it's the approach and how I've come up with the ideas of what I'm going to test. I don't care deeply on how you write it, but I want to see that thought process between how you've identified what you're going to cover and talk me through that. 
don't share don't share me a spreadsheet with 300 test cases and oh here's all the tests i'm going to do or how do you expect me to go through all 300 test cases and understand what you're missing come to me with a mind map or something that gives an overview of all the areas you're going to cover and you know we can talk through it and understand the intricacies of where there might be some more scenarios we could cover off um but yeah i i find it's very easy to get hung up on oh i'm writing 100 test cases for this piece of functionality or i'm writing 50 test cases and you know they're all high really important they're all 25 steps long you know and you spend four weeks writing the test cases document before you actually touch the code touch the code to execute them and it's just i would much rather there's ways of writing the test cases as you're going if you need to write test cases for regulatory purposes then there's ways to write them as you're doing the testing like david mentioned whether it be exploratory or even just actually writing the test cases as you're exploring the system or documenting the system or, or whatever you're doing there is there is definitely a different way of doing it than doing it all up front and then then only starting the testing once you've finished writing all your test cases yeah it's i can see it as a useful tool for documenting your thought process and why you're doing it and, and what you're covering but i think sometimes it's hung up as like chris said the only technique therefore the only thing we're going to do I was going to say one time that, that it is really useful is actually when it isn't just purely software testing. When you're doing hardware testing, we you do need to plan a bit more up front because you may need lead time to get hardware or right, produce test rigs in order to test something else. And therefore, you need to make sure that you have an idea and can communicate that with the person who's writing the test test or producing the test rigs to make sure that the message gets put through so that they know that the test rig is capable of actually doing performing the tests that you're actually thinking about. Kind of going along with what Simon was talking about, you know, regulatory needs and things like that, there can be needs for them. I'm not a big lover of test cases, but I do see they have a place because in the most recent project I've been working towards, there is very much not, we have to do some traceability to requirements. There's very unclear requirements. So the only way that we can know whether our tests are the right sort of things, whether actually the expected thing we're doing is that, is by ever having conversations with the business stakeholders to get that information out, um, by exploring the system, by a combination of both. But either way, we often have to document it again to make sure it's the agreed thing because there isn't a requirement, there isn't a user story, there is a feature list of 10 things, if you see what I mean, at the critical high level. So it's become a useful tool for us to make sure that we're all on the same page because we're working in three time zones. So meetings together and all those things become a challenge. And it's about the only time I've ever seen much value in them, if I'm honest. Um, most of the rest of the time, I've found them an exercise in futility. You write 700 of them, no one ever reads them properly because if you spend a minute reading 700 test cases, a minute per a test case, that's 10 hours, 11 hours worth of work. No one's going to read through them in any detail. So they do become kind of just this big paperweight and no one can review them properly, they've become exhaustive. And to Chris's point, multiple things help rather than one thing. And there's a lot of stakeholders that basically see it because it's easy to do metrics on. How many test cases were you right? How many have you executed? How many is left? And that they love that because it's simplistic KPI metric-based management. And that's what often drives a lot of businesses wanting test cases, not an actual physical need, but actually a, oh, we can get good metrics out of these. How many test cases does a person do per day? 
those sorts of things. And that, that drives me insane. Sorry, rant. I carry on. Rants are all good. I love a good rant. I was going to say, when I started um, testing, I actually didn't do test cases to start with. Interestingly enough, I was almost exclusively given an area of something to test and then essentially ad hoc tested until I was satisfied and had to tick an actual spreadsheet. Um, And so when I came across test cases to do in terms of consuming to reproduce things, I thought that's easy. But actually the amount of time it took to write said test case versus some of the things I achieved whilst I was ad hoc testing did make me wonder like there had to be a better balance which I think probably is, is more along the exploratory testing lines not that I knew what any of that was at the time do you think there's any particular tools that people use perhaps test management tools or something that sometimes force people down a particular route it could be also um teams choosing particular acceptance criteria like i've worked in places where you had to have a given when then scenario automated as part of that sort of thing and have you found that sometimes it's the process is the hardest thing to challenge either either via the tool or like as you mentioned there was there's a mindset around metrics but how <laughs> How do you challenge that? How do you change that? And how do you prove the value outside of test cases or alongside them? Yeah, I think that's what, you know, a lot of the conversations in the in the wider community have been around is actually the value. The, it's not that test cases in themselves are bad. It's the how can we break the mold of this very structured, you have to write test cases. They have to be in this format. They have to be in this tool. Just so, as Russell said, you can get those numbers out of the end to say you've run a hundred plus test cases and 95% of them have passed and et cetera, et cetera. It, it, there is, there has to be a, a better way of, of getting that value. And, and, you know, I, I really respect those that have tried to do something new. The mind map approach seems to have been one approach that it seems to work quite well, where you identify all the areas of testing you want to cover within a mind map. And then you can add notes to it as you're testing it. You can add further strands to the mind map of what you discovered and what that links you to to go on. And so, so it's a form of exploratory testing, effectively. Um, but yeah. I'll give you one example. Because I, when I joined one company a while back, which I'll remain nameless, I joined and they had a lot of test cases. The general policies was write test cases, put them into a SharePoint type thing, put them in there. And I was kind of very opposed to test cases at that point in my life. And I kind of asked the sort of leads and seniors at the time. So, okay, so are they up to date? Do you maintain them? Are they accurate? What do you use them ever again? And the answer I got was no. They're put in this repository. We don't maintain them. They're all out of date. Couldn't go back and use them again if you tried. They were done as one-offs. And this team did a lot of automation as well, to be clear. So they were just disposed of. So I looked at the cost of generating and how much time they did and what they did with them afterwards and who actually ever looked at them. And I did sort of a, a time in motion sort of study and looked at that and then what was happening with them and basically showed that basically they had little value because I showed that in fact, they weren't maintained. So there weren't reusable things that you could go back and run manual regression on later if you wanted to, the automation test failed. That the actual automation scripts actually contain more relevant and up-to-date information. 
because they were maintained. Um, that the test cases themselves were done because there was a process in place to write them, and for no no one reviewed them outside the testers. Uh, and actually, most of the time, the testers didn't review them between themselves. So they were little, they were just documents to do for the testers' sake in that case. And I persuaded them that actually not doing them was probably a good time saver. Now, that was in the context, though, where only testers had decided amongst themselves to do it. Now, it didn't come from a senior management team. And I was the senior manager that came in that basically just went, really? Now, I've been in other places where it's not so easy and it's someone else dictates that I want this metric. But then you have to try and work out how you can generate that information, but not necessarily by the same technique, like a test case coverage. It's a classic one. How many tests have you run? Um, it's like, well, okay, I can do how many points we've delivered or something like that. And I try and translate what they're trying to measure is productivity, but they don't know a better way. And I try and think of a way to not make it any worse, but make it easier, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had a similar scenario where one of the companies I worked for before my current role where um, they had this four-week test prep phase before they started any piece of work, um, which was basically, we're going to create all the test cases, we're going to create them in spreadsheets, we're going to add them to the SharePoint site, much like, much like Russell's mentioned. And again, every project, whether it was a new project, an old project, they created them all from scratch. There was never a process of, let's go and look at what tests we've previously written to see if there's any we can reuse. It was all just literally, right, let's just think about what we can do now and we'll think about everything, we'll write them all down. And there'll be a team of 10, four weeks, writing test cases. No, no touching the code, no touching the system, working out whether they can play with it and identify, all just completely black box. We're going to write all these test cases. We're going to go on our understanding for how it's going to work. And inevitably, they'd end up rewriting half the test cases when they started working on the project because the system wasn't quite the way they thought it was. Um, but then again, it was documented for regulatory purposes and not for not for reuse and whatever else, but they had to do it from scratch every project. It just, yeah, I, I probably could have done something like Russell's done and tried to do some kind of analysis of the time wasted and the benefits we could have reaped by uh, doing something different. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's one of those, I, I can see scenarios where they have proved very costly, like the scenarios we've just mentioned. But I've also worked in places where the test cases have proven to be good documentation of what we're trying to do. They've not been exhaustive. They've not been 25 steps for a test case. They've been a one-liner or a couple of lines just to get the gist of what's going on. And, and you know, you quickly knock out the test cases and you, you improve the coverage based on the test cases. But I think it all comes back to there are there are lots of ways to do this. It doesn't need to be in a test management tool documented with lots of steps or in a BDD format. There are yeah, there are other ways we could do the work. Yeah, I've done sort of scenario based ones where you yeah. just have lots of scenarios rather than any of more details. And as long as you've got a certain system knowledge, you can use them to drive most of what the testing because the testers have that retained knowledge. It's not great if you've got a those scenarios can be almost exploratory testing charts as well. If you've got a high-level scenario, you can use that as an exploratory testing system. They often were because the people would go off slightly on tangents on them to kind of explore around them and so on. But what you couldn't use them for was to train someone. You couldn't say, go and do that. Um, but that's where other techniques like pairing and other things came in. So a lot of the problems that test cases are trying to solve 
have different solutions in many contexts, not in everyone, in many. Um, certainly in the agile world, like you talked about doing test cases four weeks in advance. Like to me, that's just madness. Yes, um, <laughs> it was to me as well. Yeah, like even when I've done test cases, I've done them days in advance. It's, you know, it's that sort of time frame. Um, but again, you know, sometimes there's value for these things and sometimes not, but it's trying to look at what the value that's trying to get to make sure the action does deliver the value you expect because it may deliver some of the value, may deliver all the value, but then you've got to look at what negative impact it's having. If you're writing a thousand test cases that you then throw away and no one sees any value in them, you're following a pattern um, and you're doing an anti-pattern in effect because you're following a pattern without actually relating to what you need to do. Um, but if you actually do need to then show to a regulator, you execute X number of test cases, this is what they look like, here's the evidence, you've got them approved, they were read by X other uh, expert in this field, et cetera, et cetera, then they have some value. And it's making sure that whatever process you put in place, it's fit the purpose. And it's hard to do. It is why there are test manager stuff. I would agree that actually, you know, you know, in companies where it's part and parcel to, to write test cases, it is very difficult to change because like we've mentioned a couple of episodes ago, you know, talking about agile and stuff is that you need to make sure that you have the right framework or the right idea that, that works. And when you're talking about a large project, and especially if you're creating for a client and it's expensive, then actually people revert to type. People want the safe, easy passage that allows them the greatest chance of success. And if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, is the sort of classic sort of thing, you know, that's just- Centers of excellence. Yes. So, but but it doesn't necessarily always add enough value to just do it the same way. You need to make sure that you're recognizing that and can adapt to it, to the situation. And that and that adds another point. You say, you know, if you're, if you're doing a service for a client, being the client on the other side, I'm trying to change that mindset of we don't need to write lots of test cases, but our service providers, our third parties that are working with us are like, hang on a minute, we only know how to do test cases. So then we're having to almost retrain and coach our, our suppliers, which then is kind of counterproductive because what are we doing? We're paying them for a service, but we're actually teaching them how to do it because we want to change the way we do things they're only used to doing it in a certain way. And I, I guess there's the argument would be, well, you, you'd look at other suppliers, but yeah, it's exactly that. Um, Simon, you've got the wrong suppliers. It's it, you know, it, it's a tough, it's a tough one because you know the, they're the ones that have worked on the systems for a long period of time. They've got the domain knowledge, they know how to use it. But the way they do the test case documentation is the same way they've always done it. So and coming in client. with Tell yeah, abs absolutely. And, and that's exactly the process we are going through at the moment to try and evolve that understanding of where we can use more exploratory testing and where we can do less documentation and still have the same understanding of what we're testing. You know, bring in the one page test plan, for instance, remove the 20 page test exit report, all that kind of stuff so that we can be a lot more flexible. Um, but yes, it's, it's part of that mindset shift. Um, and as David said, if, if everyone's used to that because it's it's not broken as far as they can see they're adding value they're they're providing 
proof that they're doing the testing. So if we're audited at that random time in the future, we've got proof that we've done all this testing or that one, that one bug that makes it to production. When you're asked that question, you know, did you test this? Mm. Well, here's our 10 test cases that show that. Well, <laughs> you, you've, if you've, is... you've hit a point though, like, cause you, you, you've mentioned the word value. And I think that's something that we need to understand what is valuable. What is the cost of the time spent doing this thing versus time not spent doing this thing? We've got, we've had conversations about debt, maintainability and things like that. I've had the, the pleasure, if you like, of trying to explain various stages of testing to non-testing folks in my current role. And a lot of what I have done is ask questions, not present explicit answers, because I think it's important for people to understand their own context and find their own way to those things. So in that sense, I've asked questions like, what are we testing? How much are we testing? What are we covering? And why is that important? What tests do we already have? What do they cover? What's missing? And what is the quality of those things? And we've already talked about what quality is, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and later on in, in those sorts of conversations, I've talked about how we can measure things without just looking at numbers. So understanding what's important to you based on those things, because ultimately, if we go back to testing being uncovering information about our product based on what we have on what we deem quality to be, be that meeting requirements or whatever, hopefully the end users considered dear listener. Um, but if we understand those things, then we can choose applicable testing for whatever it is. If we, Everything we've talked about always just feels like either a tool or a process or history or debt, legacy stuff is pulling us in just one direction. And all I can hear about is things being inefficient, inefficient. And then folks get stuck down the line <clears throat> where there is no way back without it suddenly costing us more to change like suddenly it's, there's too much domain knowledge here. We can't just rip it back. We've put all this effort into creating all these test cases. We couldn't possibly bin them. Or we've automated all these test cases. We have to run them. Otherwise, what's the value in those things? And we need to be asking these questions of value, of quality, of coverage, of all these things to, to understand how are we as testers providing value? How are we uncovering the confidence, the levels of confidence that we have in our product, are we uncovering new information in our testing? There, there, there is that. There is that. You know, of course, one of the, I've questioned the value before um, about the, the, the vast amount of test cases being written. And one of them is, oh, well, we, we, we provide all the test cases to any new tester that joins because it's a way of learning the system. They can read the test cases to learn the system. And there's better ways of doing that. But, you know, I will, I will say that just because people are writing test cases doesn't mean they're not providing value. It does, it does depend on the context, on the scenario in question, on whether they're doing it in an effective way. 
if they are wasting four weeks of a time to write test cases before they start anything, then I would question that even tweaking that process so that you're writing test cases and then executing them and doing it in short iterations would, would improve the value that you're providing. Um, but yeah, it's, it is about understanding, you know, what works in your context, what could we improve? What could we learn? What could we do differently? You know, none of us are saying test cases are wrong. They have their place, but it's learning how to use them effectively, use them to your advantage, write the right levels of documentation where you need it. It is hard to change things, especially if you're in the context where you may realise and think, why do we do this? Um, and the answer may not be clear. As you said, it may be for training purposes, but actually every new starter just comes in and does exploratory testing. So is it actually used? And I guess going back to Chris's thing about critical thinking to a degree, you're asking questions. The same goes for this with test cases, asking people and then hopefully them realizing the penny dropping almost in their own brain of the value that can be added. Like showing that fact that you found 15 bugs via exploratory testing, two by running your test cases. And that, that may not be true, but you know, it's showing the value that you're adding makes people question the kind of the, the assumptions they're making. It doesn't always mean they change and change is often hard and slow, but by starting those conversations, you can actually start moving things. So I think it is always worthwhile to question why and to do um, something to kind of make things better, but it starts by asking questions. The leader that says, oh, I need this metric, ask them why asking them what they're trying to actually get from that. Because often it's just because they don't know any better. It's not from malice, it's ignorance. And yeah. we as a testers can help educate them. And maybe it's your leaders that need to, maybe it's you, but we can all play a role in um, making sure we're the most effective we can be. And that can include test cases and it cannot include test cases. I think the other thing that is, a, and Chris touched on it earlier, um, is sometimes people are hamstrung by the tools that you're using. So if you've got a tool in place like like Jira, it comes with a test management plugin. It, first thing it asks you is to write your steps. So therefore, if you're being the, the you know the, the good citizen, good Jira citizen, you'll sit down, you'll take your requirement, your, your user story, and you'll write your tests. And you'll write a minute's user story as you go forward, or you'll export a spreadsheet of tests into to, to, to Jira so that you can you can build all the test cases up. Because the tools are there, and because there is quite a vast market of different test management tools, that literally the first thing you do is write test cases. Unless you change things in the tool to build exploratory charters or, or whatever else, the standard process is put your test case here take the steps what's your expected result pass fail you know and you build up a catalog of tests and one of the selling points is you can store your tests for future use etc mm. etc so they're playing on the fact that this is the standard practice it's um one of those antique patterns again i've said it, it is but of <laughs> transformation to agile, trans agile yes. transformation is like okay we'll do iterations and then we'll just make everything in two weeks um, whatever you're doing before, kind of roughly the same thing within two weeks or something like that. Um, you do test cases before, you do them again. You do test cases in the waterfall, great. Okay, you're doing this. And it's just, it, it's that sort of logic of not transforming anything, just tweaking something a tiny bit and expecting everything to be different. 
Everything um, faster though, Russell, right? Well, that's what Agile is. Everything automates. Faster. Yeah, 100% automation, yeah. Uh, let's not go down those roads. Um, that's another but, podcast. <laughs> yeah, quite. But, you know, these tools out there, they have value in certain contexts, but it's not every context. And obviously the vendors have a vested interest, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying this, in obviously selling to as many people as possible. So they will try and add things in like exploratory testing things and other things to try and help that and try and adapt their tools to be a bit more multi-purpose. But people will often use the default. Again, they go to the simplest option that they know. Centers of excellence, contractors, consultancies like you know companies that some of us may work for are often selling patterns and they don't do it with the full context and knowledge. I've seen um, maturity models that define actually what mature looks like actually it may not be mature in your context it may be immature but they define it and these are the things that we all have to think and challenge and again i'm ranting but it's test cases are a classic one that have value but not as often as people use them there's an there's a balancing point that's off in testing i was going to add about the testing tools is that because they almost all of them have test cases as part of the default mode it then adds that extra level because why are you buying that test tool? Oh, well, we can just use the same method as we want. And actually, as Russell said, you often want a tool that offers more. So therefore it gives you more flexibility in order to break away from that. You don't want one that just does what you could do in Excel or your, your previous one. Let's expand the market. Let's offer options and help ourselves improve our methods of testing. I do feel slightly compelled to um, <clears throat> mention that I have worked on a test management tool. Um, it would be remiss of me Boo not to. His. Boo hiss. However, I spoke to very many people who, would you believe, have opinions? People such as yourselves. Because and what, was. <laughs> yeah, and what, what, I, what I found when I spoke to people was that people are annoyed at a tool forcing them down a particular route, that it was restrictive, that it, yeah. it took something that was visible and made it invisible because it was restricted by different user rights and stuff. And so testing suddenly was hidden or removed away from the team and it was in a special little testing space or that it was fixed in a particular model or workflow that doesn't really lend itself to other forms of testing and it didn't play nice with other tooling yeah and so i am here screaming if you like which i know you do like you love my screams but uh, uh, really fighting and saying what people want is something that helps them to test it doesn't force them into a particular thing, but it will help to provide the tooling and the opportunities to work with the tools that they need using the methodologies that they need to do in whichever particular approach best fits your context. And so I was challenging very often the mindset that it was simply replacing a test management tool spreadsheet, if you like. It mm -hmm. wasn't replicating things if you want to make something that is different if you want to make something that is useful find out what annoys people find out what yes. problems there are and create a solution now what, what what i worked on hasn't finished 
yet. But what I will say is there have been so many questions about, well, what about this? What about manual and automation? Is that the only thing? No. What is coverage? Is it just requirements? No. Well, what about everyone just wants to work with Jira? No. People want to use whatever they want to use and they don't want their lives to be made harder by taking on a tool. They want it to be easier and they want traceability and visibility so that they can show what their testing is easier rather than making their lives harder. I think the key thing there is they don't want to be spending their days in that test tool. They want to be spending their days testing. And we need to find a way to, you know, the tool needs to be a background activity that's that, that's that's not taking up loads of time while they do it. It goes to a wider yeah, problem though, doesn't it? Which is it the people that pay for tools are often the ones not using tools. Um, yes. So they're not, they, they see the value that they get, not necessarily the value of the users. And that corrupts the information that goes into product teams that build yep. these products. And so it's kind of a vicious cycle because they're not asking the users, they're asking the purchasers. Purchases. Which, yeah, I mean, in my case, that's me in my area, and I'm trying to find the right tool that covers the right yeah. things for our team. There are some good eggs out there, Simon. You're not one of them, but you know, I, there are I, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I think we could make this our longest ever episode, but let's let's bring it to a close now. I think we've had some really useful discussions. I'm sure there's lots of further conversations we can have on this in the future. And I'm really keen to hear people's feedback in the wider community as well. So please reach out to tell us your thoughts, tell us your bugbears, give Chris some more ideas for the tools that he might be may or may not be working on. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm sure by now you know the ways to contact us. It's uh, testing peers on most of the socials or contact us at testingpeers.com. Um, and if you fancy supporting us, then it's um, go to patreon.com and search for testing peers. Um, we still need to do some work on our tiers on there. We will get to it. It is on our retrospective, whenever that next one is to talk about. I'm not sure who had the responsibility, but looking at the faces, I know who it is now. <laughs> but again, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you guys for the good discussion. And thank you, Saffron QA, for um, your continued support. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon. For now, it's goodbye from the testing peers. Goodbye. goodbye.